Glad you're here. It's always good to see those who make it on a holiday weekend. I, I usually Memorial Day, Labor Day, I, I'm always curious to see how many in the church don't have boats or know someone who has a boat. And uh, that's oftentimes the one who's able to be here today. But uh, I'm glad you're making it a priority and being God's house today. And it's an honor for me to preach for Derek today. He's preaching for me, so I'm preaching for him. Uh, I've been going to Hoffmantown and Albuquerque now for uh, a few months since uh, we started the uh, first of May. And so I talked to him along the way, uh, asking if he'd be interested in coming and preaching for me when I'm away. And he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go and preach for you. You come preach for me. And so that was the swap. I, I hope you don't get the short end of the deal this morning, but uh, I'll apologize before I begin. But I love your pastor. He's been a dear friend of mine for a lot of years. Both of us are Okies and uh, that's our excuse, and we're sticking to it. So um, find your Bible, open it to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 will be our preaching text today. And, um, you know, I was recently reflecting upon those people in my life that God had put in my path, really that has empowered me and shaped me and influenced me and encouraged me to be all that's expected of me and really difference makers in my life. And honestly, uh, God has put a lot of incredible people in my path uh, to, uh, to educate me, to disciple me, to certainly speak into my life, to make me a better servant of Christ. And so these people, in a sense, have played a part in keeping me usable for God. And I know you've got those kind of folks in your life as well. Certainly at the top of my list uh, is with me today, Dr. Mary Dighton sitting with me, my wife of 48 years, and uh, her faithfulness and unconditional love for me, her standing by me in the most difficult of times, and certainly completing me, compelling me, constraining me to be everything that God has called me to be is certainly uh, immeasurable. I also think about a family member, my grandfather, who uh, uh, named uh, W.V. Vard Wood, who pastored and ruled churches uh, his, his uh, entire life for 50 plus years, I don't remember how many he pastored, but uh, ever since uh, recorded history, uh, he actually came to Oklahoma in 1890 before statehood in a covered wagon and stayed and pastored wherever God would call him, had a sixth grade education, uh, raised 13 kids and, I, uh, and uh, houses didn't have 600 square feet. I bet he never had $100 in his pocket. But I'm telling you, he loved the Lord. He, he walked in dignity and humility, winsome guy, great preacher. And I'm just honored to be a part of his family. And, and uh, he's been a great influence in my life. Other people who've been my pastor have been great influencers. A lot of church members have been uh, great influencers as well. And, and so we all need these kind of people. We all need people to keep us usable for God. I often say this, the two things that make the, the greatest difference in our life are the books we read and the people that God puts in our path, the friends we develop, the relationships we develop, how true it is. And so this morning I want to preach a message I've entitled, How You Can Stay Usable for God. This is directed at you, it's directed at me, how we can stay usable for God. You're familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians. 
Uh, it's written uh, an epistle to a troubled church. There was a lot of problems. There was division. There was sexual immorality in the church. There was lawsuits among believers. There were problems at the Lord's table. And all of these things collectively uh, made for a dysfunctional church. But truth of the matter is, here was the problem. The church itself had really mirrored the whole culture in Corinth. Matter of fact, the culture there in that city, that Greek city, was so insidious that there was a word developed called to Corinthicize. It became synonymous with sexual immorality and perverse sexual practices in that first century Greco world. So this epistle was written to straighten some things out in the church. But I do believe in chapter 4 we find some timeless truths, perhaps a few traits that will reveal to us what's expected of God and how we can stay on track to be usable for God all the days of our life. Please stand in honor of reading God's Word today. Only two verses. Won't be here that long today. You stay with me as we walk through this text of Scripture. Beginning in verse 1, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found, say it with me, church, faithful. Say it again, faithful. That's the call of God on your life and my life. Father in heaven, pray today that as we preach this text of Scripture, that more than anything else, Jesus Christ would be exalted from this pulpit. I pray that the things that we say would be exalting to you, honoring to you, and I pray that as only you can, through the power and person of the Holy Spirit of God, you would speak to our hearts individually. Thank you for the privilege of standing, thus saith the Lord. So speak to us from your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The first thing that I notice in the text that's brought to mind in verse 1 is if we're going to stay usable for God, we're going to have to really walk in a humble position, or we're going to have to be humble people. The first requirement is that basic. We know what it says in the Bible. God always resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. It says in wisdom literature in Proverbs 15 that humility always comes before honor. But our text, we see that Paul is using a phrase, not just him personally, but he's using uh, the word us. He's referring obviously to himself, but also two big personalities in the New Testament church. He's talking about Peter, and he's talking about Apollos. They had labored together in the church there at Corinth, which is about 40 miles outside uh, of Athens, Greece. And so here we got Paul, this most prolific writer in all the New Testament, 13 New Testament books, and he was sent by God uniquely, the Jew that he was, to go to the Gentiles. He would be the first key missionary. He spread the gospel. He established churches. He appointed elders in the church. And he was the founding pastor at the church that we're looking at today here in Corinth. Uh, uh, Apollos would follow Paul there as the lead elder or the pastor. And he would water the seed that Paul planted. And uh, we read about uh, Aquila and Priscilla in the book of Acts chapter 18, how they mentored Apollos and how he specifically preached with great power and zeal. He was eloquent. He was impressive in his proclamation of God. He's an important man. And then he mentions in this us is Cephas or Peter, who was undoubtedly 
uh, the senior pastor of all the apostles. When we see those three mentioned in the inner circle of Peter, James, and John, it's always Peter mentioned first, along with then James and John. And so as you well know, the Roman Catholic Church have determined that the fir their first pope was Peter. But here Paul is calling him Cephas. It's, a, it's an Aramaic word for meaning the rock. And he was the rock. You'll remember in, in Matthew chapter 16, at Caesarea Philippi, he's asking his apostles, who do men say that I am? And then Peter gave this great confession. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. This rock is that confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. God. But these were big people. These were large personalities. But they weren't, as Paul is saying here, we're not religious big shots. We're not pompous and proud. We're not arrogant men. We just want to be considered this way, as servants of Christ. In other words, don't be lavishing a bunch of praise and acclaim upon us. We're simply called of God to be usable for God. Now, I will tell you that word servant and service is one of the mega themes of the Bible. Some 57 times in the New Testament, we find the word servant. 57, 58 times, we find the word uh, servant, serve us used, but it's, it's a continual word that's used throughout the Bible. So this word he uses here, uh, 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 servant, is, is used oftentimes. Actually, the most popular word in the Greek New Testament is doulos. It's, it's translated in the English Bible, bondservant. It's the word that's used in the great kenosis passage in Philippians 2 that says, speaking of Jesus, you remember he said, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be made equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a bondservant, a doulos, and he was made in the likeness of men. That's the most popular word, doulos. But that's not the word he uses here. Uniquely, he uses the word huperitea, which is actually means an under rower. We just want to be seen as, as these men who work below the deck of the ship and the bowels of the boat, rowing to empower it. I can tell you, man, this was hard work. This was sweatshop labor. No esteem, no clout, no seniority, no social, financial, or political esteem. But he said, even... As great as you think we are, let, let, let you know we're, we're just servants of Christ. This is how we want to be remembered. This is how we want to be considered. No wonder we're still talking about them. Because they walked in humility with contriteness. They weren't self-important. They weren't self-focused. But they had learned to model what Jesus taught all of us in the upper room in, in John chapter 13. You remember he washed the apostles' feet. And then he said, I've given this to you as an example that you would do as well. And in that, you'll find joy. So there's a continuum, I'm telling you today, taught throughout the scriptures that God always is repelled by the proud. But if we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God in due time, he will exalt us. In Romans chapter 12, after this great theological discussion for the first 11 chapters, he turns in verse 3, he says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who's among you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think soberly as each man has been dealt a measure of faith. You know, I'm convinced one of the reasons that, that leaders in large churches often become ineffective and really unusable for God is because they get too big for their britches. 
They, they find themselves liking to hang out in the green room. Not, not being bothered by the people in the pew, they avoid those kind of people. They're always quick to delegate any kind of heavy lifting to anyone because they see most people not on their level. They're subservient to them. It was C.S. Lewis who said, a proud man is always looking down on others. And of course, if you're looking down, you can't see anything that's above you. I remember hearing this story happened at Taylor University, a Christian college in Indiana. Some years back, they were pleased that an African student named Sam had enrolled in the school and had come to America to study. Now, I know this is rather commonplace anymore. There's a lot of uh, a lot of foreign students that come and study in America, but this was a day when it was really rare, and they, were, they felt honored to have him come. He was a smart and a sharp young man. When he arrived on the campus, the president of Taylor University took him on a tour and to, to really show him all of the dorm rooms, and when the tour was over, he asked him this question, where do you want to live, Sam? And the young man replied, if there's a room that no one wants, I'll take that room. The president was taken back. He had given thousands of students tours over the years. Never had anyone say, just give me the room that no one wants. That's humility. Is there a hardship someone has to endure? Give that to me. If there's a sacrifice someone needs to make, you can count on me. Let us learn that that when we walk in humility, the joy of the Lord will be our strength. May we come to realize if we're ever going to be used of God, it's not because we've got to get more education, not because we've got to figure out how we can get some greater leverage. It's not because we eventually get acclaimed by our peers, but it's simply finding our resolve and being resolute and being a servant of God. What a high and holy calling to say, I'm a servant of God. If we're going to stay usable, we've got to continue on in a, a humble position. Secondly, he talks about what I'm calling a habitual practice. He said, we also, in our faithfulness, have to be stewards of the mysteries of God. That word uh, steward, okonomos in the Greek, it literally means to manage a household. It's, it, it's, it's a picture, uh, really, of Joseph in the Old Testament who, who certainly had the privilege to rise up to be the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. But remember, he was also a steward. He was a manager in the household of Potiphar. A steward doesn't own anything. He doesn't have the title deed to anything, but he supervises some things. He has a fiduciary responsibility. He's been entrusted in that relationship. So Paul says, look, I don't own the gospel. It belongs to God. He's the one that orchestrated. He initiated. He facilitated it. He fulfilled it. But I've got a serious responsibility, and that is to proper steward what's been entrusted to me. I'm telling you, this is this, is this big. This matter of stewardship is huge. What you and I have been entrusted with, the stuff of life, we get to manage it for a season. The least of which is not, uh, is, is, is not our time, is our time, I should say, because we, we steward that. If you got nothing more, you get, you get 168 hours a week. Everybody gets to manage a little time. But I'll tell you, when you ask somebody to, especially if you're looking for volunteers in the church, 
Uh, if you ask for them to come alongside you and help you with whatever it might be, uh, number one excuse is always this, I, I, I don't have time. I don't have the time. And, and, and certainly I'm not saying they're creating excuses, but the truth of the matter is it's the way they felt because whatever you asked them to do wasn't important enough to them or they'd have made the time. And we all get the same amount of time. So say, I don't have enough time is to say, look, I can't work that in my schedule. But we're just properly steward in the most basic way the time that God gives to us. You know, it says in the Bible, in Colossians and in Ephesians, we have to redeem the time because the days are evil. So I want to ask you really as a point of application as we move rather quickly here. Are you doing the best with the time that God gives to you? Are you even giving some serious consideration or thought to, to the time that you have? Man, I'm telling you, it's fleeting. It's passing. We're here for a moment, and then we're gone. That's what it says in the book of James. Redeem the time. Buy back these opportunities that God gives to you. Well, not only is this stewardship a matter of time, obviously it's finances as well. We steward what God gives to us. And most every stewardship sermon you ever heard was uh, a sermon relative to tithing and giving faithfully to the Lord. But it's in the Bible. The person's going to preach the Bible. You've got to touch on that too. So I'm not going to miss this opportunity. You know what it says in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10? Honor the Lord with your money, with your substance, with your possessions. And then he gives a promise attached to your faithfulness. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses will burst out with new wine. He says, look, there's a contingency in this stewardship. To get, you got to give. It's what Jesus said, give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Whatever measure you give away is what comes back to you as well. And so we're called to be a steward, not only because we're to give, but because God uses that stewardship to give back to us as well. So if you want to be used of God, it'll take proper stewardship for you. But that's not even what he's talking about here. Not time. He's not talking about money. He's talking about the gospel. That's what he says. You're to, you're to be stewarding the truth of the gospel. It's the Greek word mysterion. It, it, it means that which one time was concealed now has been revealed. And the revelation is this. In Colossians 1.27, to thou God will to make known what is the riches of his glory in this mystery, mysterion, among the Gentiles, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. You see, the Old Testament days, we as Gentiles, we only could look from afar, but these are new days Listen, this is the mystery. That which has been concealed now has been revealed. And it's the truth of Jesus Christ coming and saving those who call upon him. So understand the critical nature of what we're stewarding here. It's the truth of the gospel. You know the gospel. Sure you do. How that Christ loved us and gave himself for us. According to the scriptures, how he was buried, third day he arose again. And even as we declared through song this morning, the looking anticipation of him one day returning. We, we know that the gospel is all about Jesus, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. But truth of the matter is, in our day and time, if you stand in the marketplace or the public square in the schoolyard and you declare that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, 
and all other religions are erroneous or invalid and errant, you'll be one who is tagged with some labels, being bigoted or narrow-minded or insensitive or even racist. I recently read there was a textbook that was going to be used this school year uh, in Tennessee, and in this textbook, it, 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 it said this, that Allah and the God of the Bible are equal to the same God. In Sullivan County, which is, as you well know, Tennessee, then Israel, there's a lot of Christian influence in that state. Only one of the school board members even, I don't know, she may be the only one to read the thing, I don't know. But anyway, she, she did stand in opposition to it. And I read that story and I thought, well, first off, I, I went to the public school. I, I thought the public school was about teaching students reading, writing, and arithmetic. Not what, who God is, or certainly claiming the God of the Bible has an equal. They're not, not to be teaching theology in the public schools. Listen, we've been entrusted with it. That's what this says. We're to steward the gospel in the right way because I'm telling you, there's all kinds of ideas out there that are errant and out of control. But you and I need to stay faithful and, and, and teach and preach what we know is true. We're to stay stewarding the gospel. But can I tell you, the right message is only part of what is necessary because you know as well as me if you're not living your life consistent with the gospel message it'll always fall on deaf ears I'm telling you your life either validates or invalidates the message that you claim sometimes our message is maligned by our own kind of disinterest our own kind of misplaced priorities and I'm just calling you today to be found faithful, to continue steadfastness, being a testimony of God's grace, not being so judgmental. Tell them about the mercy and the love of God, the difference that he's made in your life. And I know that's the heart of Derek Lynch as well, that we would live our lives as a shining example of the mercy and grace available to all who would but believe. Jesus said, by their fruit you will know them. Let's put on display that we do know him. You can't be used of God until he is Lord of your life. Matter of fact, here's what I know. You will only make a difference in someone else's life to the degree that God is making in your own life. You hear me? You want, you want God to do something special in someone else, else's life? Well, it'll only happen to the degree that God is making in your own life. Let's let it begin with us. Let's live the gospel. Let's learn the gospel. Let's share the gospel. Let's spread the gospel seeds. Let's make it our habitual practice to steward what God's entrusted to us. I'm about to preach too long. Let's move quickly. One last thing. Not only a humble position, not only a habitual practice, but what I'm calling an honorable pledge, a pledge of being faithful. That's what's expected of us. We make a pledge of faithfulness. So this final reminder really is for steadfastness of, of God's people. 
for continuing in faithfulness and, and, and certainly live our life in such a way that we model what faithfulness looks at, what, like and uh, we demonstrate it by our stick to by our steadfastness. You know, I'm concerned. I, I, I can't help but be concerned. And I know I, I, if you look around, you've got to be concerned as well. The dropout rate in, in churches today uh, is concerning. People who used to come to church, who were faithful in church, who used to labor in the church, they're no longer around. And, and, and faithfulness has been lost somewhere along the way. Old people always have excuses what happened in their life. But I'm telling you, <laughs> that excuses are easy. I mean, anybody with half a brain can come up with an excuse. Excuses are everywhere. They're like Uber drivers. I mean, you, <laughs> and you just pull one from nowhere. Benjamin Franklin one time said, people who are good at making excuses are rarely good for anything else. How true it is. So if you're looking for an excuse, you'll find it. Here's what we do, though. We have a tendency to do this, just my observation. We put a whole lot more emphasis on how a person starts in the Christian life than how they finish. Is that not right? I mean, we, we need to put emphasis on how they start. They can't, they can't finish a race that they don't begin in the right way through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And we certainly want to, to be clear in our communication of the gospel truth that saves. But I'm telling you, there's another side to this. And that's called faithfulness. And if we want to be usable by, uh, uh, by the Lord in whatever way it might be, we've got to, to remain faithful. He concludes here in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, in the next last chapter, and he goes, look, you've got to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He finishes Galatians the same way. Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you don't faint. He qualifies these things of usefulness about running a race and running by the rules and not dropping out. And we ought to be concerned that we finish well. And can I tell you, when you get to my age, it's the driving force of your life. God, help me. I want to finish well. I want to do well. I've tried to serve you with my life, but Lord, don't let me do anything that would disrupt what I've been about. That needs to begin early on, that we would have that kind of commitment. You see, faithfulness is our banner. Don't be like Demas. You remember uh, Paul in the book of Colossians says of him, he was a faithful and fellow servant. But in the last book he would write in 2, Corinth, I mean, excuse me, 2 Timothy 4, he said, Demas has departed from me because he has loved this present world. Can I tell you the pitfalls of not being usable for God? It's when pride gets in your heart. When you become a person of arrogance or boastfulness or hubris. Secondly, it's being negligent of all that God's entrusted to you. You no longer are stewarding the things in a right way. Now you find yourself moving from intentionality to selfishness. You're hoarding your time, your finances, your resources, your giftedness. And you see it's always manifest in unfaithfulness. How many here have been to uh, Yellowstone National Park? Several of you been there? Uh, more people go to the national parks in the first service. I mean, just, just, an, just an observation, are they? They're more willing to raise their hand, I guess. Here, I, I read this recently. About four and a half million people a year visit Yellowstone National Park. 
I haven't been there, but the people who go there tell me that those four and a half million were there the same day they were. <laughs> it's a crowded place. It, it's a beautiful place. As you know, one of the, the, the big attractions, the great attractions there is Old Faithful. Do you realize back in the 1960s, Old Faithful would erupt every 64 minutes. Now, 50 plus years later, it erupts anywhere from about 94 minutes to 120 minutes. You know what I'm telling you? Even Old Faithful's not faithful anymore. <laughs> My greater concern is, are you faithful, though? Will you be found faithful? Will you have this undying commitment to stay anchored to the truth and a love for God himself? You see, it's easy to wander. <laughs> We sing the hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I leave it, prone to leave the God I love. Our, our, our problem really is this. We, we find ourselves, if, unless we're intentional about the commitment we've made, we'll, we'll end up on the path of least resistance. This is a little easier. I think I'll go that way. But can I tell you, anytime you begin to compromise your life, you will always end up at the same destination It'll be a place of emptiness, of disappointment, of heartache and regret. And today I'm simply calling you back to where you know you need to be. Don't compromise your convictions. Don't go the way of the world. God in his faithfulness is calling you back to once again not to quit and to be found faithful. Would you bow your heads with me? It's our privilege to offer an invitation today. You may be here and maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart about your own personal situation. Listen, life is it's never easy. Ever who said life's unfair knew what they were talking about. The truth of the matter is maybe these have been hard times for you. But could I tell you, Here's what I know. God wants to take those hard times and make them good times. As you make a commitment, fresh commitment to him to discover the purpose that he has through the process and even in the pain. You may be here today and you need someone to pray with you about your personal situation. It'd be our joy to do that. I'll be at the front. The elders will be close by to pray with you. If we can lift a burden for you today, it'd be our joy to get to do that. You may be here today, and truth of the matter is, there is an emptiness in your soul, and you're always a little uncomfortable, even though you feel drawn to come to church when the Bible's preached. Because it does convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Maybe this would be your day. This Labor Day of 2019. To hear and believe. God will reach down and deliver you. Put you on a new path. 